Okay, last week we started a new series. It's called Advent 2.0, and um, it's about Jesus coming again. I read about a little girl who had learned in Sunday school about the return of Jesus Christ. And she was very fascinated with it, and she um, got home and she talked to her mom right away and just started firing questions at her mom. And, and the first thing she said was, Mom, do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Mom said, yes. And then she said, well, could he come back this week? And she said, yes. And then she said, well, could he come back today? And she said, yes. And then she said, could he come back in an hour? And she said, yes. And then she said, well, could he come back in a few minutes? And she said, yes. And she said, mom, will you comb my hair? And there is a little girl who is beginning to understand what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to be ready when he comes back. Advent 2.0 is about Jesus coming back again. Last week we mentioned Advent is about when Jesus came the first time. The second Advent is when he comes a second time. Last week we mentioned that there are 1,845 references to the second coming in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there are 260 chapters in the uh, the entire New Testament. And out of those 260 chapters, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. In the New Testament, 23 of 27 books mention his return. For every prophecy uh, in the Bible about the first coming of Christ, the first advent, there are eight prophecies about his second coming. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus gives us extensive information about Advent 2.0. And that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus told his disciples before his return at the end of the age... The temple in Jerusalem would be totally destroyed. That was like a big surprise to them. I don't even think they believed it after he said it. And of course, that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. If you remember from last week, the Romans came in. Titus, a Roman general, took the temple apart stone by stone. Jesus said, many would come in my name and attempt to deceive many, and there would be false prophets. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. He said there would be famines and earthquakes. Nation would rise up against nation. Kingdom would rise up against kingdom. There would be religious confusion, political and military conflict, and environmental uh, upheaval. These were the general signs at the end of the age. There would also be persecution, and the love of most people would grow cold. There would be religious deception and wickedness, and specifically, it was a super major sign, at least it was super major in Jesus' mind, that there would be a world leader who would go into the temple of God in Jerusalem and proclaim himself to be God as the fulfillment of Daniel 9, uh, 27. Um, Today we continue in Matthew 24, verses 26 through 44, and I want to encourage you to follow along. The first point, if you follow on your outline, 
I'd encourage you to take notes. The first point, expect dark days in the end times, verses 26 through 29. And first, it's a spiritual darkness in uh, verses 26 through 28. And uh, here's what he says in verse 26. He says, so if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. This is a reminder. It's a deception, a deception reminder uh, of what he has already said. He's already told us there are going to be many religious figures in the end times that will appear throughout history, and they will proclaim themselves to be Christ. Uh, To me, this is pretty irrational. But this is what, it's already happened, and it's going to continue to happen. And as we move toward the end, um, it's just going to be rampant. Um, Some are going to say, uh, Christ is in the desert. Last week, I read one about Christ was in the Himalayas. You know, uh, that's where he was right then, and he was going to come out public pretty soon. Or or if they say Christ is here in the inner rooms or some other location, that's not, it's not true. No way, it's not going to happen. Jesus has already told us how it's going to happen. It's one of the reasons why you need to know the scriptures for yourself. Jesus has already told us clearly where he's going to return. Now, this is about deception. It's about all these uh, false prophets. And a a reminder is uh, from Matthew 24, verse 26. Matthew 24, verse 26. We have a slide for that one. Um, Okay, verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. This is like a big theme last week. Watch out. Beware because deception is going to be prominent. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. The truth is many people are going to be deceived. Now here's one of the sad things. Christians are one of the most easily deceived group of people there is. They're looking for somebody to lead them. They like a little bit of religious mumbo-jumbo sometimes, but they don't know the truth. They don't know what the Scripture says. And it's so, if you don't know what the Scripture says, it's so easy to be deceived if somebody comes along. So all I'm saying is God wants us to know the truth. He's not trying to hide things. He hasn't told us everything, but he wants us to know, and we can know a lot. Um, a verse that comes to my mind right now, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. So I, I can't know everything. There's a lot of things God hasn't told me. I'm, maybe I'm going to get those answers and someday when I meet him in heaven. But the things revealed, that's this book. He's given to me and to my family, to my children forever. So I want them for my family. I want them for my children. And so I want to devote myself to the book because there's so much uh, I can know and understand so that my family won't be deceived. Matthew 24, uh, verses 23 through 25. This was last week. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ... Or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. Or 
those who are genuine followers of Christ, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. That's a great comfort. Jesus has told us already there's going to be tremendous deception. People claiming to be Christ, religious figures who are false prophets, they claim to speak for God, but it's not the truth. They're not speaking the truth. They're not giving correct information. It doesn't jive with the rest of the Bible. That's how you... That's how you compare. When somebody gives you a message, does it fit with Scripture? You know, God is not deceived. He's not going to distort. Um, not only that, the amazing thing, there are going to be people in the future who perform great signs. They're going to do great miracles. They're going to be very supernatural, and the power will not come from God. Okay? It's easy to get deceived when people see supernatural stuff. I go, wow, show me more. It's easy to get deceived. So just being supernatural doesn't mean it's great or good or from God. Uh, So that's uh, a deception. Reminder now, deception, discovery, verses 27 through 28. This is uh, a little harder text. Verse 27, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, Quick comment, Son of Man refers to Jesus. It's a term that he most often used of himself. It's a very strong theme, theme in the book of Mark. Refers to Jesus' humanity. Son of God refuses, uh, refers to his deity. Son of man identifies Jesus with the human race. And he was the son of man. And it was a technical term for Messiah, the Christ. All right? So he's talking about himself. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even to the west. This is going to be a really big deal. How far is the east and how far is the west? They're going to connect. It's going to be total, public, around the world, lightning. It's going to be very glorious, very powerful, and it's going to shake up the earth. It's a little little tip-off that Jesus is returning. Now, wherever there is a carcass, this is the hard passage, there are the vultures where we'll gather. I have a suggestion on what this means. I wouldn't go to the grave for my interpretation. But it's just a suggestion. I think he's referring to the false prophets, how dark the spiritual times are, and the state of the world will be, uh, people will, will be so hardened to God, they'll be so open to other things, and so open to the supernatural signs of the false teachers. It's going to be very spiritually dark, and the false teachers, and the, and the false prophets, and the false Christ are just going to thrive like vultures to a carcass. Vultures go where it smells like death. And so will these false prophets. They will go to where it smells like death. And it's when, when, the light, when the Jesus comes back and the sky lightens up with that lightning from the east to the west, it's going to be like turning over a rock and seeing all these bugs crawling things run. And it's going to be all of this darkness on the earth lit up by the sky. Um, Then in verse uh, 29, there's going to be miraculous darkness. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days. This is definitely the end times. Um, I I personally believe it's after the great tribulation. When it comes to the end of the great tribulation, that last portion of this judgment on earth, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and heavenly bodies will be shaken. I take that literally. This is not figuratively. This is literal. The environment will be shaken out of kilter. There are going to be supernatural changes to the universe that God orchestrates during this time of judgment on earth. 
It will be a literal darkness, very foreboding of impending, impending disaster. Isaiah the prophet spoke of this in Isaiah chapter 13. So we go back about 700 years before Christ, and Isaiah the prophet says, See, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is a reference to a time of judgment at the end of the age. A cruel day with wrath, wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate, to destroy the sinners within it. The purpose is going to be judgment. Verse 10, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Next slide. I will punish the world for its evil. The wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and the humble and will humble the pride of the ruthless. That's just two little reasons why God is going to bring judgment at the end. And uh, what we saw in the previous slide was about this literal darkness that God is going to cause. It's going to be a big tip-off to the end. Um, The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And then he's going to bring punishment. So expect dark days in the end of times. If you read in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord, it's about darkness and gloom. And this is just a brief picture. Secondly, expect to see the Son of Man in the sky, verses 30 and 31. Expect to see the Son of Man. And, of course, that's going to be Jesus. We see his appearance, verse 30. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man. This is the name of the message. The sign of the Son. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations in the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. There will be uh, spiritual darkness. There will be a supernatural, literal darkness on the land. And there's going to be a flash of lightning from the east to the west. And uh, it's going to be like a blinding light. That's how I take it. Um, it's going to be worldwide. The nations will mourn because they, they sense this impending judgment coming. And the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. I think that's an understatement, by the way. Great glory. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself in what we sometimes call the Shekinah glory. And when he led the Israelites, it was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. It was a glimpse, a little bit of God's glory. Other ways, he he revealed his glory. Jesus revealed his glory uh, at the transfiguration to three of his disciples. Just a little glimpse of the glory of God. Jesus is going to light up the whole sky and... This is it. This is the sign. This is pretty significant that he would say these words. Um, They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Daniel saw this in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. So we're going back uh, 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Daniel doesn't even know who Jesus is, but he understands there's something very unique about this individual, like a son of man, the term that Jesus most used to refer to himself. 
coming with the clouds of heaven. Oh, gee, that sounds like what Jesus was talking about. He approached the Ancient of Days. And you can see the translators see that the Ancient of Days as a person, and they've capitalized it because it's probably a reference to God the Father. That's how I understand it. That the Son of Man will approach the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Next slide. He was given authority. The Ancient of Days, the Father, gives authority to the Son of Man. Now, who does that happen to? Well, it's only Jesus. All authority on heaven and earth is given to Jesus, Matthew 28, verse 20, or verse 18. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power sovereign over everything. All peoples, nations, men of every language worshipped him, the Son of Man. His dominion is everlasting, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Daniel gives us a glimpse about this event and he's coming, it's the son of man, and he's coming on the clouds, but also something else is happening. First, he's coming in judgment, but something else is happening. He's coming to establish his kingdom, and it's going to be a fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is going to be king, Lord of lords, and king of kings. He comes in Revelation 19, and he establishes his kingdom in Revelation 20. It's one of the reasons when you study prophecy, you need to know Genesis through Revelation. We're going to see his mission when he comes in verse 31. Matthew 24, verse 31. And he, when he's coming in the clouds, will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, this isn't his only mission, but when he returns, when he's coming, and the, and the sky lights up, and he comes in the clouds... He is going to be on a mission to retrieve those who are genuine followers of Christ. Now, let me just make a side comment here. This is not the rapture of the church. I do not understand this in any way to refer to the rapture of the church. There are a lot of reasons. We could take about another hour to talk about those reasons. This is the end of the age. In my understanding of the Bible, the rapture has already happened. The church is not even here. Um, this is during those believers who are alive at the end of the age, those who are followers of Christ and the and the angels this is the only time the only reference is, is the angels at the end of the age and they are going to gather those who are genuine followers of Christ um, so I, I just have a quick question here if Jesus would send out his angels today would you be headed for his kingdom because you are a genuine follower of Christ. If Jesus sent his angels today, the question is, would you be ready? Jesus has a mission. We have a mission, by the way. Remember that? Church has a mission. This, Jesus' mission goes to the end of the age when he will gather the elect. We have a mission right now that he left us with until he comes. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is our mission. Therefore, go and make disciples. Why? Because we need to make a difference before he comes. We have job one until he comes. Make disciples. That includes going. That includes baptizing believers. If you haven't been baptized, you ought to think about getting baptized as a believer, as a genuine follower of Christ, because 
Jesus said, this is what it's all about, making disciples. It's about identifying with a community of believers. It's sort of like going public with your faith and teaching them to obey everything. That's the desire of Jesus Christ, is that we as a church teach each other to obey everything. And Jesus says, if you do that, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. However, what he doesn't say here is if you don't do it, guess what? He's not going to be with you to the end of the age. That's why churches appear, and they sometimes are healthy and vital, and they follow God's word. And over time, they begin to depart from God's word, and they begin to depart from relying on the Holy Spirit, and they begin to depart on communicating the gospel. And pretty soon, you don't have a real church. You just have a building with people who are religious. Um, so, expect to see uh, Jesus in the sky. Thirdly, expect the words of Jesus to be fulfilled, verses 32 through 35. And, he sa- and expect the, the words of Jesus to be fulfilled. Learn the lesson, verse 32, Matthew 24, verse 32. Very simply, Jesus uses an ag- agricultural picture. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twig twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now that's not very complicated, is it? But Jesus uses this little simple thing to help us. Um, You can tell the signs of the times by looking at the fig tree. You can tell when it's winter because the fig tree doesn't have any leaves, doesn't have any figs, and it looks kind of dried up. You can tell when it's spring because it's gotten some rain and the leaves are beginning to bud and uh, the branches are supple and moist and there seems to be life coming back to the tree so what does that tell you? It tells you, well, summer is almost here and the figs are coming, okay? And uh, Jesus says, learn this. And um, understand these things, verses 33 through 34. Here's what Jesus said in verse 33. Even so, just like the fig tree, when you see all these things, you know that, uh, it is, know that it is near right at the door. When you see all these things, just like the fig tree, there's a, there's a change coming. When you see certain things happening, there's going to be a change. And when you see these things, Jesus said, he's right at the door. He's coming. Okay. Well, what are all these things? Well, thanks for asking. It's famines and earthquakes and false Christs and uh, uh, persecutions. And then when you see the abomination of desolation, we talked about that, Daniel 9, 27, the world ruler goes into the temple in Jerusalem and proclaims himself to be God. And remember, right now there is no temple in Jerusalem. I fully believe there will be one day. According to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, when all these things take place, um, the time is near, right at the door. And then he says, verse 34, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Which generation is Jesus referring to? It's easy to read that and think, oh, he must be talking about the generation of the disciples that were present And if you study the passage, that can't be who he's referring to. He's talking about the the generation that experiences all these things. The generation who puts together the birth pains and the abomination of desolation and the darkness of the time. It's close. It's right at the door. 
Verse 35, trust Jesus' words. Heaven and earth will pass away, he said, but my words will never pass away. Personally, I find great comfort to know Jesus' words will never pass away. No matter what I'm going through, it doesn't make any difference what my circumstances are. It doesn't make any difference how hard life is. I can count on Jesus' promises ring true every time, over and over again, and that's what I found to be true. I've shared my life first, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The things that I worry about are those things that I need added. And I've learned that if I put God's kingdom first and his priorities first, he has answered my prayer. That's a great verse to use for solving marital conflict. Because as soon as you realize that you're becoming self-centered, Jesus' kingdom is no longer being advanced. He's no longer first. It's about me. Then I have to tell my wife I'm sorry, and I have to ask for her forgiveness. She likes that. Okay. Number four, expect a surprise of your life, verses 36 through 44. Expect a surprise of your life. I think you're going to be surprised wherever, if you're in heaven, wherever you are. I'm not expecting you to be on earth, but if you are in heaven, you're going to be surprised. You're not going to be smart enough to figure this one out. Verse 36, when will these things be? Jesus said, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So this is the best answer Jesus gives to when. When is Jesus coming back? He said, no one knows. Could you? Who knows? No one knows, all right? There are going to be people who are writing books. You're going to see... Uh, television programs you're going to see radio programs and people are going to be talking about he's coming back this day nobody knows don't believe it there's either something wrong with jesus or something wrong with the people who are telling you the story about when he's coming he's not coming back uh there's there's been all kinds of predictions in history on the date that he would return in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the disciples got enough nerve to ask him the question again, when are these things going to take place? So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. We can't know the date. So um, what will it be like, verses 37 through 41? When Jesus returns, what was it going to be like? Well, Jesus gives us another little picture here. As it, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at the, the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to see a little bit like what it's going to be like when he returns. And what does Jesus say? For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day... Noah entered the ark. Here's what they have in common. In Noah's day, the earth was under judgment. Noah announced to the world that God was going to judge the earth with a flood. And Noah built an ark. And we're guessing that it took him 120 years. You know, no power equipment. It was just day after day. People said, Noah, you're silly. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, according to the scriptures. And he got to tell the story, why he was building the ark and what was coming. The earth was under judgment during the days of Noah. But what did the people do? They just kept on eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. No big deal. Life as usual. Yet God kept telling them what was coming, what's coming, what's coming. 
and no change. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. The flood came in judgment and took them away, except for those people who went inside the ark. Believe me, it took faith to go inside the ark when they had never seen rain before. Okay? And Jesus said, this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You can tell people... I grew up with the Bible in my home. Sometimes it was on the coffee table, and it always had dust on it because nobody in our family knew what it was inside. Maybe John 3.16. And it's very common in our country for people to own Bibles, although it's becoming less and less. And we have this information. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. We have this information, and yet... There are going to be Bibles around during these end times, and they're going to do nothing about it. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left, and this is not the rapture. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, and one will be taken, and the other left. Like the flood, they're going to be taken in judgment. God will send forth his angels. One will be taken, one will be left. This is, um, people are going to be doing their everyday routines as if God doesn't exist, okay? They will be totally surprised. So what should I do? What should I do? And Jesus tells us, verses 42 through 43, to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. You do not know when. But understand this, if the owner of the house, and here's a nice little story, if the owner of the house had known at the time the thief was coming, he would have put in a security system, he would have caught everything on video, and he wouldn't have been surprised. He would have kept watch. He would have not let his house be broken into. Jesus says, keep watch. Pay attention to the details of your life today. Pay attention to the world around you. Be alert to um, the spiritual reality that judgment is coming uh the question is will you be prepared will your family be prepared i'm not telling you to go into the mountains and get a generator and get 10 years of food uh stay spiritually alert stay spiritually alive don't grow spiritually indifferent don't go don't grow spiritually cold or callous Uh, Don't drift into spiritual neutral. Keep your spiritual life fresh and vibrant and fruitful. Keep watch. Verse 44, last verse, be ready. Jesus said, so you also must be ready. Does that sound like an option there? Does that sound like extra credit to get ready? So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. How much more clear do we need to know that he, he, we are not going to be able to know when he comes. We're going to be surprised. We're not going to expect him. No matter how smart we are, when Jesus returns, we are going to be totally surprised. I'm gonna be, I think I'm going to be totally surprised. Even if I'm already in heaven, it's going to be a surprise. And he says, you must be ready. Not optional. Uh, so how can I be ready? How can I be ready? Very simply, set your priorities in order. Set your priorities in, your, in order. So, first priority, 
The greatest commandment of the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So, first priority, how is your relationship with God? Do you need some attention? You know, our relationship with God, if, if we're about loving him, we're, we're going to be spending time with the person that we are to love. We spend time. That would be listening to what he has to say to us and spending time talking to him about what's on our hearts and what's on our mind and the pressures that we're facing. You know, having a relationship, being in his word, spending time in prayer. And then uh, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So it's about others. And so it's not going to be about you yet. It's about others. And um, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's going to start with your immediate family. It's like if you're married, how about your wife? How are you doing in loving your wife as Jesus loved the church? Does your marriage need attention? How are you doing on loving your husband? Um, how are you doing on raising your kids? Kids, how are you doing on res- respecting your parents? How do you handle your siblings? You know, these are important neighbors that God has given us, the other people in the world besides us. Uh, How about your employer? How about your classmates? How about your teachers? They're other people. Are you an ambassador for Jesus in your home and in your public life, in your workplace, or in your school? Um, Set your priorities in order. How about your relationship in the church? The body of Christ. Jesus died for people to gather in a body called the church. And this is, there's a lot of confusion about this today because we have so many different groups and so many churches and so many ideas. But the commitment that Jesus expected to his church is a pretty big deal. Because he said, love one another as I have loved you. That is about commitment. And if you study the New Testament, there really isn't such a thing as a Christian outside of the church of Jesus Christ. God intends our spiritual formation to happen in the body of Christ, community. And there's lots of options today. You need to be somewhere in one body of Christ to grow and to serve and to be who God wants you to be. Now, I know there's times of transition and different reasons why I haven't plugged in totally to a church. Everybody, as a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, sometime needs to plug in and commit and say, I'm in this. I'm going to serve Jesus in the body of Christ. Um, uh, lastly, your priorities. Uh, I'm just going to throw in one, your money and your stuff. And one of the dangers about priorities is it's so easy to let our money and stuff get way too high on the, on the priority list. You know, sometimes it can be number one, or sometimes it can be number two. It's going to mess with everything if your money and your stuff get ahead of relationships, and your, especially your relationship with God. Um, so is God first in your finances? Are you learning to give regularly and generously to advance the kingdom of God? And uh, I have a two cents on that one, too. I think regularly and generously always comes first to his church. That was always a design, not to a, another group. Church first, other groups second. That's the biblical model as I understand it. So who has ownership of your stuff? Are, are you the owner, or have you given it over to God and allowed him to claim 
his rightful ownership. Matthew 6, 33, I've already told you my life first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't focus on the things that you want given to you. Focus on his priorities. It's his kingdom. Seek his kingdom first. Seek your kingdom second after his kingdom, after his priorities are in order. Your stuff second. So easy to say it's all about me. This is what I want. This is what I need. God, help me get what I want. That's not putting his kingdom as a top priority. So um, allow me to take a couple more minutes and answer the question, what if I'm not already a believer in Jesus? What if I'm not already a believer? I've talked primarily to you who are followers of Christ today. And a lot of you understand some of these basic ideas. But I want to talk to you right now for those who are not already a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, What do you need to do to get your priorities in order? The first priority is that you need to begin a relationship with God. And uh, here's some summary. The first thing, to begin a relationship with God, you need to admit to God that you are a sinner. The passage is Romans 3.23. For all of the sin and come short of the glory of God. It just simply says, the Bible states, all of us have sinned. We are all sinners. Sin is about an attitude or an action that dishonors God. It's about missing the mark. That's what sin is. Missing God's standard. All of us fail. Either our thought life or what we do. There also, we need to uh, understand the consequences of our sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Those are consequences. Um, I get what I deserve. And for sin, the wages of sin is death. It's not physical death. It's more than that. It's spiritual death here. Physical death, the body separates from the eternal aspects, the soul and the spirit. You put the body in the grave, the soul is left to go where God directs. Heaven or hell. The ways of sin is death is eternal separation from God, and Jesus called that hell. Thirdly, um, understand that Jesus died for you. It's pretty simple, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is really good news. It's because of his love for you and for me. He sent us on Jesus. I deserve the death. I deserve damnation. I deserve hell. Jesus stood in there for me and took death on my behalf. He was my replacement. He was my substitute. It happened 2,000 years ago, and he already knew about me, and he paid my price. But it's meaningless unless you understand the next thing. Trust Jesus to save you from the penalty of your sin. That's what God asks you to do, is to trust Jesus to save you from the penalty of your sin. Trust means to believe. It means to rely on. It means to have faith. And very simply is, can you trust that Jesus died for you and paid the penalty for your sins, your list? If you could put your list up here on the screen, what you need to know is Jesus paid for everything on your list. The great thing is he paid for everything on my list, and it was really big. Jesus died for me. He died for you. In Acts 16.31, uh, 
the apostle, uh, the apostle Paul says this, he and Barnabas, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Sometimes that gets taken out of context. It's you have to believe and each member of your household has to believe, not you believe and your whole household gets in free. It's each member of the household must place their faith in Jesus and they can be saved. And that's exactly what happened to the Philippian jailer. They met with Paul and Barnabas that night and every member in the household came to faith in Christ. And then John 3, 16, last verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is about trusting Jesus. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. He so loved you. Put your name in there. For God so loved Jerry that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that if Jerry would believe in him, Jerry would not perish and Jerry would have eternal life. Put your name in there. God so loved you. Now, here's, I, I learned this verse growing up in a church and I did what the church told me to do and what I understood was God so loved the globe, the earth, the world, and the mass of humanity on it that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And you know what? I, I took that intellectually. Okay, I'm in on that one. That's what I've been taught. Makes that God, okay. What I didn't know is that he loved me, Jerry. I didn't know he knew everything about me. In spite of my sin, he still loved me. I didn't know that he actually died for me. I thought he died for the globe. He died for this person. So that this person could have eternal life. So that this person would not perish, meaning eternal death. And that offer is to everyone. That's what the role of the church is, is to communicate this message. This is good news. That's why it's called the gospel. Christ died for you. I know a lot of you here already know that. But I want to make it possible for, if there's a handful of people here today who who don't know that yet, who don't understand how, how to have a genuine relationship with Christ, how to begin this relationship This is where it starts. Admit that you're a sinner. Understand that there are consequences to your sin. Understand that Jesus died for you, and then he wants you to trust him. Trust what? That he died for you, that he paid the penalty for you, and that penalty is paid for. You don't do a thing. You can't earn it. You can't be good to get there. It's about faith in him. Now, if you wanted to begin a relationship today, all you would have to do is express your faith in Christ. One of the ways you can do that is through a prayer. And I want to just lead in a prayer right now for anybody here who would like to begin a relationship with Christ, if this is like making sense for the first time for you. And I'm going to go through the prayer twice. One, I want you to listen so you can understand the words, because you need to understand before you make a choice. Second time will be an opportunity for you to choose to place your faith in Christ. The prayer is simple. It's just kind of reviewing what I talked about. It's, and so I'm going to go through the prayer. Everybody look at me. Second time I go through the prayer, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. But the first time, it's just everybody looking at me. And here's the prayer. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Just what we talked about. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Because I'm, I'm, I understand that now. He died for me personally. I trust Jesus right now to pay the penalty for my sin. And I'm going to ask Jesus to help me to set my priorities in order in the days ahead. It's that simple. 
Okay, let's bow our heads a second time. Let's bow our heads, and I'm going to go through the prayer. And if this prayer made sense to you, and uh, you've never placed your faith in Christ, I want you to pray along with me, just silently from your own heart. God can hear you, just silently. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I get that. And I understand that Jesus died for me. Thank you that he died for me. And I trust Jesus right now to save me from the penalty of my sin. I trust that his death paid for the price of my sin. And I I ask God for help. I want Jesus to help me to set my priorities in order as I learn to follow him. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for eternal life. Now, if everybody would just keep their heads bowed just for one more moment. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just mind slipping up your hand so I can see? If you prayed along with me this morning, just slip up your hand. Who else? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, I'm grateful for those who have raised their hands today. And I pray that they will be able to sense and understand that because of their faith in Jesus, you have forgiven them. Their sins are forgiven. And you have given them eternal life. May they sense your presence right now. May they have confidence that they're spiritually clean in your eyes. And God, for all of us, I want to pray... um, that you'll help us to to set our priorities in order, that we'll think about putting you first and what that's going to mean for each of us, that you'll guide us, that we'll put our relationships with people, our family, and our friends, our neighbors, that we'll seek to honor you through those. And may we... uh, join together on mission as we help people to connect with God in our church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.